It's 12.08, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Sheriff Joe, he's the um, the very controversial sheriff in Arizona from Maricopa County, former sheriff, announcing, and he was the guy that was convicted of offenses in connection with false statements to the government or things like that, and he um, ended up being pardoned by President Trump, now indicating that he wants to run for the Republican Senate seat, Jeff Flake is retiring out in Arizona. Arpaio wants to run. Gru, who's producing the show today and always, he's 85 years old. And at, at the risk of being at, at the risk of being ageist, he's 85 years old. I, I mean, really, at the age of 85, I hope to be productive, but enjoying my time on a golf course or with my friends at, at some point in time, and I, and I and I say this whether it's John Conyer hanging on at the age of eighty-eight or you know Warren Hatch, I understand why Warren Hatch is retiring at eighty-three. At some point in time, I think it's just time to kind of turn the page. And Sheriff Joe says he's going to run. He would be eighty-six years old, and he would be one of the oldest freshman senators in U.S. history if he were to win. I think, again, and this is, I leave myself open to allegations of being ageist, I guess, but at some point in time, isn't it just time to kind of kick back and, and relax instead of saying, hey, I, I want to be a U.S. senator when I'm 85 or 86 years old? All right, three big things today. Uh, coming up in about 15 minutes, it's our second big story. Um, it, it's, it's political correctness run amok, or it's how could they possibly have been so insensitive? I call it coolest monkey. If you want to see the story and the ad that is creating all the controversy, if you simply text me the word monkey, 414-799-1620, text the word monkey, I will send you a link to the advertisement that is creating all this controversy that has a company being forced into, well, apologizing, and we're going to discuss whether or not it is political correctness run amok or whether it is just this incredible cultural insensitivity. But if you want to see the ad itself, text me the word monkey, M-O-N-K-E-Y, to 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We'll be discussing that story in about 15 minutes or so. We start off, though, with big story number one. Yesterday afternoon, and this had been rumored for quite a while, Ed Flynn, Milwaukee police chief, announcing he was going to be stepping down in the very near future, retiring after serving eight year, uh, ten years as the chief of police in Milwaukee. And again, this had been there had been a lot of rumors to this effect that when he was appointed to a third term, he, he really wasn't going to serve out the third term for pension perspective and stuff. Once you hit 10 years, you're, you're, you're pretty much locked in and you're pretty much settled. Um, Ed Flynn is, what, 70 years old and uh, just announcing that, you know, it, it's time to move on. And, and, I mean, I give him a lot of credit for that. All right, when Ed Flynn took over as the Milwaukee police chief, there was a very, very low bar. Um, his predecessor, his immediate predecessor, was Nanette Haggerty, who was, as police chiefs go, pretty much of a nothing. Before that, you had Arthur Jones, who was pretty much of a, a disaster. You know, Arthur Jones, who was elevated to the spot by John Norquist. He was he was John Norquist's driver, his head of his security detail. Norquist thought that he could 
well, control the police chief. Um, so he saw to it that Nor- that Jones got the appointment. And then what he found is that uh, what a lot of people who dealt with Arthur Jones found was that, well, uh, Jones wasn't going to listen to anybody. Those were some really dark days for the police department. Matter of fact, I think you can make an argument that the police department is still recovering from the Arthur Jones era. Not only in lawsuits, but also in, in people who, who retired prematurely because they just didn't want to deal with all the, the aggravation and stuff, creating what I think was a huge experience gap as they lost a lot of institutional knowledge. In any event, Ed Flynn came 10 years ago, um, brought to Milwaukee by, by Tom Barrett, essentially. And I understand the Fire and Police Commission hires Flynn, but the truth is, the mayor appoints the Fire and Police Commission, and if anybody doesn't think that the Fire and Police Commission does really pretty much what the mayor wants, well, my advice would be kind of tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. So Ed Flynn announces that he is stepping down. I have been saying for the last year or so that I think it was time for the police chief to move on. Um, I, If I think about the legacy of Ed Flynn, I, I, I have... It's interesting. I have a mixed legacy, sort of like with David Clark and with Ted Thompson. I think in the beginning of their tenures, let's just talk about Clark for a second. I mean, Clark, I think he was a breath of fresh air. I think he was a guy who said things and and challenged the status quo in a way that needed the status quo needed to be challenged. He was a guy who ruffled feathers, but candidly, some of those feathers needed to be ruffled. Um, somewhere along the line, David Clark, in my opinion, got bored with the job, and he, he sort of became a caricature of, of himself. The, the David Clark that you know took over back in the beginning, 2002 or whatever, sort of became the the America sheriff and the guy with the hat saying all the silly stuff and really not interested in Milwaukee County anymore. And so that's why, I mean, I, I've always looked at Clark's tenure, and I say we well, have to talk about, when you say what kind of job did the sheriff do, what are we talking about? Are we talking about the David Clark that first took over, or are we talking about the, the David Clark of you know 2016 and 2017? So I'm going to give them mixed grades. For me, looking at the tenure of Ed Flynn, it is very, very similar. I think when Flynn first came in, I think he brought a lot of good ideas with him. I think it took him a little while to learn the community. But, I mean, he, he was an advocate of kind of this broken windows policing and, and things like that. And, and I think it was, it was important. I think he was off to a good start. What happened, in my opinion, is he, he ended up losing his way. I think there were a, a couple of factors, um, all of which were, were in his control. Relatively early in the ten in his tenure, Ed Flynn was involved in a scandal involving a, an affair that he had with a, a, a writer who was doing a piece for him for Milwaukee Magazine. That I think hurt him a, a lot, and I, I think candidly he lost a lot of his ability to be politically independent after that very high profile thing kind of blew up in, in a very very public way. After that point. I think Flynn became more and more political. And one of my big disappointments over the last several years is Ed Flynn, I think, started saying things. He became the mouthpiece for Tom Barrett. And and he was out saying things that were just blatantly dumb. And I believe that he's a smart guy. And I think he knew the things that he was saying were dumb. 
But I think he also knew that to keep his job, he had to stay on the good side of of the mayor. So you'd have him showing up at events talking about, gee, the the reason why we've got so much crime in Milwaukee is because we've got guns and we've got all these people with concealed carry permits that are carrying guns. There's no relationship between concealed carry and crime in the city of Milwaukee. There's absolutely none, and everybody knows that. But, of course, Ed Flynn – that was the line that Tom Barrett wanted, so Ed Flynn ended up starting to parrot those type of things, even though I think he knew that that was, was silly. But he sort of became the mayor's toady in that regard, and I think that that ended up hurting him. Ed Flynn also is, and I get this, an incredibly egotistical guy, and I don't necessarily say that in a bad way, but incredibly egotistical and unwilling to accept that he might be wrong. Now, one of the classic examples of that, and you get a lot of conversation, is the police department's non-pursuit policy. In 2010, with the blessing of the mayor, and keep in mind, this is after Flynn had had sort of his high-profile problems, he identifies and he says, okay, we're going to change our pursuit policy. We've had instances where cops have been hurt or citizens have been hurt, so we are not going to chase as a general rule except under these very narrow circumstances. So you put this policy into effect. It was a disaster pretty much from the beginning because all the bad guys learned early on that the police would not chase them under in almost every circumstance. So you had people that would blow through red lights at 90 miles an hour driving stolen cars, and the cops would know it, and they wouldn't be allowed to chase. This policy, however well-intended it was in 2010, quickly became a disaster. And I believe led directly to a lot of the crime that you are still experiencing in the city of Milwaukee now. Everybody knew it was a disaster. You could have a rookie cop who'd been on the beat for three weeks. They would tell you it was disaster. Everybody knew it was a disaster. But Ed Flynn, because Tom Barrett didn't want the policy changed, Ed Flynn wouldn't change the policy. Because how dare somebody tell him that this doesn't work? Well, finally, you know, when it gets so out of control that you've got the Common Council, you've got the Fire and Police Commission, you've got everybody saying this has to change, finally, in an effort to keep his job, he ended up changing the policy. But that was something that, how, like I say, however well-intentioned it might have been in 2010, it didn't work, and it didn't work quickly. And Flynn, and that's the best, most high-profile example of uh, I can give you, was just so stubborn and so arrogant that he couldn't back off that, which is, I, I think, it's bad because, you know, you, everybody makes mistakes. We all make mistakes. But one of the things is, can you, you know, can you recognize that you've made a mistake? And really good administrators Okay, it's not that they make a bad decision, but it's their ability to quickly recognize they've made a bad decision and retreat from it. And, and Flynn didn't do that. And I think, you know, that's, that is a problem and continues to be a problem. All right. I think, therefore, you give him mixed grades. Um, overall, I think he came to Milwaukee. I think he did a really good job in the beginning. The last several years, not as good a job. And I also concede that there's a lot of the problems with crime in the city of Milwaukee that are beyond the control of the police chief. You've got a district attorney's office and a DA that is, in my opinion, soft on crime. You've got judges in Milwaukee County that are extremely soft on crime. When he was defending his chase policy, one of the things Ed Flynn would say is, hey, even if we chase them and we catch them, we send them over to juvenile court and the juvenile judges, you know, just turn them loose again. So, you know, why bother chasing? 
racing in the first place. And there is at least a superficial appeal to that type of argument. So I understand that it's not fair to blame the spike in crime and all the problems we've had with carjackings and car thefts and things like that on the police chief. Because at the end of the day, police are reactive. That said, I think the beginning part of Ed Flynn's tenure, I, I'd give him a strong B, maybe even an A minus. The end of his tenure, I'd say a, a C. In general, I think if you're asking me to grade Ed Flynn's tenure, I, I'd say a C plus, you know, maybe a gentleman B overall. Good in the beginning, not great later on. Time for a new, time for a change, though, I think. But I, I give him credit, and I, I wish him well moving on. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How would you rate the job that Ed Flynn did? 414-799-1620, we're back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And once again, we're going to be discussing this story involving perhaps political correctness run amok. If you want to see the ad I'm going to be talking about, text the word monkey to 414-799-1620, and I will send you a link. Stick around. 1223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Changes are coming fast and furious at 1265 Lombardi Avenue. Track the title town turnover with instant updates and analysis in the Packers section of the WTMJ mobile app. Let's talk to Tom in Twin Lakes. Tom, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I started my law enforcement career right when Ed Flynn got into the police department, and you could just see and feel the demise of Milwaukee County since. Mm-hmm. Really due to that no-chase policy, yep. people didn't run from the police 10 years ago like they are now on yep. almost every other traffic stop. Um, I think it's time for him to go, and I'm glad that Clark is out. And you could just – he lost the morale of his apartment when, yeah. because of the whole Chris Manny thing. And since then, uh, it was time for a new leader. Right, Chris. Chris Manny was the officer that he fired, who was involved in the Dontre Hamilton shooting. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Tom. That was another. To me, that was a political, and I say small p, political decision. You have a guy who's not charged, but they decide to fire him, and I think that sent a very chilling message to a lot of police officers that the chief didn't have. If it was a hot political situation, the chief wasn't going to have your back. And I hope we do see some positive changes with new leadership in Milwaukee County, but I've been with departments that have had change leadership, and it's not always positive. But, well, let's have some positive thoughts now in Milwaukee County and fight some crime. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. Right, right, that's the thing. You don't, I mean, that's all, I'm not one of these guys that says the change for the sake of change is always good. Matter of fact, I was in a meeting this morning, and we were talking about the future of this, and I kept saying, hey, look, you've got to be careful, because there's going to be all sorts of, You've got you've got all sorts of political pressure that's going to be there. There's going to be pressure from some uh, people in the community who are going to say, hey, we don't want a law and order police chief. We are, we're locking up too many people. We want somebody who's going to be big into the, I, I don't know, uh, let, let's avoid the mass incarceration type of stuff. Let's try not to hold people accountable. Um, there's going to be a lot of pressure for that. So it may be that we're, we're looking back and we're saying, hey, we missed the Ed Flynn days. I think Flynn's tenure, lots of missed opportunities. And I agree with you, Tom, the Christopher Manning thing, Manning thing was a situation. that The no chase policy, probably the worst decision he made. And it might have been well intended. It, it might have been well intended in 2010, but it didn't work. And everybody knew within six months that it wasn't working. And, and he kept it for six and a half years. And that, 
that created a problem. It also created a problem for suburban police departments because suburban police departments would, in fact, chase. But, you know, people from Milwaukee were used to, you know, you had criminals from Milwaukee who would go out to the suburbs, and they were shocked. Um, they ran from suburban police officers just like they ran from Milwaukee police officers, and they didn't realize that they would be chased. Bob in Cedarburg. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Hi, Bob. I, have, I would give uh, Flynn a C, mm-hmm. especially when he would not coordinate on the simple thing like fencing around the park where uh, Clark had asked for it, and then it was okay, but then it turned their mind, so Clark could not get fencing to uh, break up the or to separate right. the park. The other thing is, who's going to pay for the two more years on his contract? Now, people may say it may not cost anything, but it does. If you have a person that's going to be leaving in two years, at least you can start looking out for one, uh, finding somebody instead of dropping the ball next mu- uh, next mm-hmm. month. We won't have one. Yeah, so- I don't know. I got to tell you though, Bob. I th- this has been something that has been rumored behind the scenes for for quite a while. I um, I I think. I think that there were some people in the know who, who might have seen this coming, including the mayor. My guess is that this has been something that Barrett has known about for a while. That would be my guess. And I would have thought that he would have been spanked good for going out with Brooker's wife. I mean, well, if a regular line person did that, and I wouldn't be surprised on the contract, they would have, if you do anything in the police department that puts a bad uh, uh, cloud on it, you will be laid off or fired or something like that. Well, I mean, th- th- like, I don't know. There might have been a morals clause in the, in the contract, but I mean, I, I do think, and, and you're referring to this very highly publicized um, extramarital affair that, that he had that was big news back in 2009, relatively early in his tenure. I think that that, I think that, that hurt him. I, I think it it limited his ability to be independent. I think he he became, again, more closely linked with the mayor. And as I have argued, I think started doing some stuff that uh, taking some positions that I don't think he really believed. But he, he took them because Tom Barrett wanted him to, to take them. In any event, it, it's a tough job. And I, I don't. I mean, compared to other police chiefs, like I say, there was a low bar. I disagree with a lot of the things he said, and I disagree with some of his big policies. But at the same time, I I think he was well-intentioned in many respects. And I I think he's certainly not going to go down in history as the worst police chief in Milwaukee. And I do wonder what's going to happen moving forward because, you know, change, like I say, for the sake of change, isn't always the best thing. It's 1229 when we come back. All right, political correctness run amok, or how could they have done this? If you text me the word monkey to 414-799-1620, I'll show you the ad we're talking about. Stick around. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, the other day, I, I needed a pair of blue jeans, and I didn't want to go to the store, so I just went to went to the web, and I ordered a pair of blue jeans. When I went to the site... Um, they had the, the blue jeans. That, this was, it was Levi's. I bought a pair of Levi's. And what they had is, if you looked at, they had a million different types of blue jeans that you could possibly buy. And when you would click on the different things, they, they had models that were wearing the blue jeans. There were guys, and I guess if you were looking for female blue jeans, there'd be females, but there were guys that were wearing the blue jeans. They had models that were, you know, posed in the various jeans so you could theoretically see what they looked like on, on the model. 
All right, so no surprise. You know, if you go to websites often, you will see not just an article of clothing, but you will see in many cases the article of clothing being modeled. All right, so that is not an unusual thing. There is a company, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. It's called H&M, H as in Harry and M as in Mary, H&M. It is a Swedish company. It's um, a multi-international clothing retail company. It's the actually the second largest global clothing retailer in the world. Its reputation is for fast fashion clothing for men, women, teenagers, and and children. They operate in 62 countries, over 4,500 stores. They employ over 132,000 people. Okay, so H&M clothing, big, big deal. And just like they sell clothing in you know um, brick-and-mortar retail stores, they also sell a lot of stuff over the Internet. All right, so here is the controversy. And again, if you want to see the ad that's creating all this stuff, you can text me the word monkey to 414-799-1620. But, but here's the deal. H&M, on their website, has a section devoted to children's clothing. Okay? And I, I'm looking at part of the ad now. They have various ch- child models posed wearing various articles of clothing. I'm looking, for example, at a... A kid who's wearing a sweater that has animals on on the outside. One of the things that they were selling was it was kind of like a day at the zoo type of stuff. So one kid is wearing a, a blue hoodie sweatshirt that's got animals all over it. They have another kid that's wearing an orange outfit that's got a lion on the front of it, and it's got a saying on it. I, I can't read what the saying is on this. And then they have another kid. The kid is posed wearing a a green um, hoodie, and it says, coolest monkey in the jungle. Again, these are these animal-themed clothing, and they have, like, different sayings on it. This one says, coolest monkey in the jungle. Well, where is the controversy? Well, the kid, the model that they are using, who is posed with the hoodie that says, coolest monkey in the jungle, is black. All right? The other models that are wearing some of the other stuff are, are white. Uh, as soon as this ad comes out, oh, my goodness gracious, people go absolutely nuts. One person after another taking to Twitter. Here are some of the things that people are saying. So the black kid gets to wear the H&M sweater with coolest monkey in the jungle, and the white kid gets to wear survival expert. It's beyond disgusting. It's a projection of your neo-colonial thinking. You won't see me anywhere near your shops these days. Um, Let's see, another one. Woke up this morning shocked and embarrassed by this photo. I'm deeply offended and will not be buying anything at H&M anymore. New York Times columnist Charles Blow asked H&M, have you lost your damned minds? All right. The idea being here you've got you're selling this sweatshirt. And it's not just being sold to black children, but You know, you're selling this sweatshirt. It's part of these zoo-themed, animal-themed sort of sweatshirts, and they have the audacity, and I say that in air quotes, to put the black kid in the sweatshirt that says, coolest monkey in the jungle. And a number of people are looking at that and saying, oh, this is just terribly racist. This is horrible. Um, You are inviting every stereotype because, you know, we know that some people could say, you know, black, you know, that it it plays into racist stereotypes that are obvious. 
right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. H&M, after getting this criticism, has immediately backed off. They, they have issued an apology. Uh, they issued a statement to the Washington Post. We are deeply sorry that the picture was taken, and we regret the actual print. Therefore, we have not only removed the image from our channels, we have also removed the garment from our product offering globally. So you won't be able to buy the sweatshirt that says, Coolest Monkey in the Jungle, because, well, some people were offended. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I happen to go to the zoo a lot, the Milwaukee County Zoo. And you know one of the things I'm struck by when I go to the zoo? I see all sorts of kids from all sorts of colors. I see white kids. I see black kids. I see Hispanic kids. I see everybody who is going there. Now, my guess is if you go into the gift shop at the zoo, I mean, there are all sorts of things that you can buy. My guess is that, you know, they have, for example, coffee mugs or, you know, whatever that, that you can buy that have images, say, of, of the monkeys on them, just like the penguins, just like other stuff. My guess is that there might be some black kids that buy some of that stuff because their parents aren't offended. They just know maybe their kids like looking at the monkeys. I love going into the monkey house. Never thought that this was a racist sort of thing. 414-799-1620. Is this something that people should be legitimately offended about? Or is this another example of political correctness run amok? The politically correct and the perpetually offended waking up and looking for something to be upset about. The fact that the ad features a kid model who happens to be black wearing the shirt coolest monkey in the jungle. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Put me down for political correctness run amok. But should this company have to be apologizing? Did they really do anything wrong? Or is this just an example of people looking for something to be offended about? It's 1243. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Will in Milwaukee. Will, you're on WTMJ. Hello, how Hi, are you? Good, what do you think? Well, I'm going to get right to the point about, about everybody's getting all bent out of shape. I'll start from uh, a few years ago. Uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Howard Cosell was an announcer on Monday Night Football. Right, he got in trouble for yeah, referring to a running back from the Washington Redskins. He said, look at that little monkey run, and the guy was uh, black, and that ended up pretty much being the end of uh, um, Howard Cosell. And he was like, gee, I, I, I didn't know this was offensive. I call my grandchildren little monkeys. Yeah, that's what he said. Sure. Yep. He, he says, uh, I mean, all these groups were demanding apologies, and, I, you know, I'm, and I'm glad that he says, no, I'm not going to apologize for anything because I, I didn't mean it to offend anybody. And Do you think a reasonable I mean, person, like, though, could be offended by this? Obviously, you know, there, there, you know, historically, um, there have been racially derogatory uses of, you know, trying to link, you know, for example, black people to gorillas and things like that. So, given that history, was this insensitive for them to do it? No, I don't think so, because this is just the way the culture is these days. Everybody's easily offended. Thanks for the call. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. But I, I guess that's where I look at it, too. To me, you've got to look at, at the intent be, behind this. And it, first of all, if you find this to be offensive, 
okay, don't don't buy the sweatshirt. I, I guess that's it. But th- this idea that somebody's going to look at this and automatically assume that this is some sort of intended as a racial slur. Well, I mean, give give me a break. Would you have felt that way if the it was the white model that was put into this? I mean, is it if I buy my ten year old nephew a sweatshirt that says "coolest monkey in the jungle" because he happens to like it at the zoo? Is that going to be something that is racially uh, offensive? If, for example, they're selling a shirt like this at the zoo and, and you have uh, an African-American family that sees it and they think, hey, this is going to be this is going to be cute. We don't view this as being offensive. I mean, is are they wrong with that? I, I guess. What frustrates me so much is that you have so much real racism in this world. You really do. That when people obsess about these types of trivial things, and best case scenario, this is a trivial sort of situation. I think what you do is you undermine the people that are really out there who are fighting to try to deal with the real racism. Okay, our text line is exploding. If we keep crying racism in instances where maybe it could be taken as racist, however not intended to be racist, then we take away from the real racist problems in our country and make it difficult for real progress to be had. Okay, but then I get the other one. Jeff, what planet are you living on? So you've never heard of black people being referred to as apes or monkeys as a racist stereotype? Wake up. Of course it's racist. No. No, I I I understand that you could use this. I understand that somebody could interpret it that way and and maybe somebody historically did that. But okay, does this now mean that we're not going to be able to sell for example, um Monkey-shaped coffee cups in in the zoo because somebody might be able to interpret that as as racist and be offended by it. I mean, really, is that what we have come to? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Lori says, obviously, the parents didn't see a problem with this; otherwise, they would have let would not have let him take his picture taken with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. Another text. I don't find it insensitive or racist, but they should have anticipated the backlash, though, and used a different model. Well, okay, you know, maybe, I I guess so. Uh, Maybe we now need to edit everything for cultural sensitivity and work our way to the lowest common denominator. Gee, is there something out there that somebody could be offended by? I mean, because seriously, where do you draw the line here? Let's say the ad had been for the hoodie. Same sort of thing, identical, but you'd had a white model with, with that. You know, okay, so the white kid was on the modeling thing for that. Would people have been offended if you could buy it for black children? I mean, t- again, I, I understand that there might be somebody out there who would say, okay, in certain contexts, this term could be offensive. But at the same time, aren't there a lot of people who say, gee, my, my kid, whether he's white or black or brown or green or blue, my kid really, you know, just loves going to the zoo and, and loves walking through the gorilla house or loves walking through the monkey house. But now I can't buy him this T-shirt if he happens to be black because, well, okay, some people are going to be offended. And I can't buy him this if it happens to be white because some people will interpret this as being sort of a racist type of thing. I mean, really, don't we have more significant issues uh, to, you know, don't we have more significant issues to worry about? And from the perspective of, I guess, cultural sensitivity, yeah, maybe H&M should have anticipated this. Maybe that is the world in which we live nowadays. But really, aren't there bigger issues to deal with? It's 1251. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up, big story number three. Is the president really nuts? Stick around. 
254-254-1254. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, and you know, here, here's the thing. If there hadn't been a black child that was serving as the model, then people would have been outraged about that as well. Why do you only have white kids that are being the models for this thing? It's just you almost get to a point where you, you can't win. And I appreciate the clothing company that um, doesn't want to create controversies. All you need is one person that gets offended or a handful of people that get offended. So you have to apologize and pull the product. But at the same time, you know, really? coolest monkey in the jungle all right no black people need to even think about being able to buy that give me a break all right big story number three uh okay this has been something that's been going on since donald trump was elected and it's it's now gaining more steam after the publication of this book you know fire and fury um the the whole question of the president's mental stability people saying well you know we're not thinking he's suitable for the job etc etc story in the washington post today about how you know the the trump aides are are starting to get more and more indignant and, and responding to you know all this chatter that you hear on the msnbc's and the cnn's of the world about you know is the president mentally fit for office and the story in the washington post is well maybe it's starting to get to them well all right Here's my take on this. I think Donald Trump is a very interesting sort of guy. I think, you know, psychiatrists could have a field day with the guy's personality. He is prickly. He is incredibly thin-skinned. He is an egomaniac. Um, But to tell you the truth, you need, I, I think, to want to be the leader of the free world, you need to be an egomaniac. I think Barack Obama was an egomaniac. He just didn't show it as much. I think Bill Clinton was an egomaniac. He was just able to, I I think, keep it more and more under wraps. But to think you can be the leader of the free world, you need to have a, a certain image. Now, President Trump... His entire history is the fact that, you know, he he fights back. He's a New York street fighter type of guy. You attack him, he responds. His idea is, you know, you know, get even, get revenge. He wants to have the last word. I understand all that stuff. Now, I personally find a lot of those traits to be unbecoming in the leader of the free world. And I'd wish he'd stay the heck off of Twitter. But that's different than saying the guy is mentally unbalanced and unstable. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage ta- Talk and Text Line. I understand why the Trump people would be upset with this. And candidly, I think it is extremely unfair and unproductive to question the president's mental health. Like I say, he's got some interesting personality quirks, and I'll, I'll use that term quirk. And, and, and there's no question that I, I think, again, he's he's kind of a megalomaniac. And, you know, just like we were talking earlier about how, you know, Ed Flynn, you couldn't tell him he was wrong. I think Donald Trump is the, the same type type of guy. That's the personality that you have. To me, though, that's a far cry from suggesting that somebody is is mentally unstable. Rather, it's just the way he is. And we all know people who I think, you know, have these sort of personality traits where they are the egomaniacs. I don't think President Trump is 
dangerously mentally unstable. I don't think he's got a mental illness. I think he has a very, very definite personality that perhaps gets him in trouble from time to time. But you know what? He's 71 or 72 years old, and that's not going to change. It's the same personality that I think he's had his entire adult life as he's been building a fortune, you know, developing buildings and creating the Trump brand. He is what he is, but that doesn't mean that he is mentally unstable. And these conversations by the hate Trump people, oh, this guy's got to be crazy and, you know, we've got to be looking at the 25th Amendment. That, to me, again, is just sort of counterproductive. I think it's a situation where you have to recognize that he's a very, um, again, interesting individual. Agree with him or disagree with him. He won the election. He is elected as the president. And all these conversations about, well, I think he's mentally unstable, that that does nothing to help us as as a country, disagree with him on the principles that he has, disagree with him on his policies, hope that Robert Mueller finds a basis to try to pursue impeachment. That's all well and good. But this constant conversation about is he nuts? Is he unstable? Is he mentally ill? You know, give me a break. You know, just just give me a break. To me, that again is this creation of the left fanned by the talking heads in the media and a lot of the hate Trumpers. I understand why people might disagree with his policies or his personality, but mentally unbalanced, I don't think so. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, Foxconn in the news involved in another controversy. Did they do anything wrong? We discuss. It's 1259. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner. So Eric Bilstead, let me put you on the spot. Okay. Have you ever been evicted? No. <laughs> oh, no. You, no, you, I have not. You, 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 no, you laugh. Okay, Gru, have you ever been evicted? No. I, okay, I was evicted once. Really? Well, oh, yeah, but, but, but here it wasn't evicted because of, you know, wild parties or failure to pay rent. But no, I was in college. We were on a month-to-month lease. Okay. And the owner of the, the place where I was living sold the house. I mean, that, they, they, it, they sold the house. Um, so, so what and, happens is someone just show up at your door and uh, say you, you have to beat it. You get a note, right? You you get you get a notice. The owner came around and said, "Guys, love to have you here. It's been great, but I'm selling the house." And we were on a month to month lease, and it was thirty days notice. And you got thirty days notice, and you had thirty days to be gone. Wow! And right, which was a was a pain in the butt, but. You know, and they, they actually they said, well, if you want to, you know, we, we're selling it. This is when the closing is. We're giving you this notice. We don't know. You know, these are who the new owners are. Maybe they're going to rent it out, whatever. But, you know, your your lease is over and you got to figure out what to do. So did you gamble and stick around well, or no. did you leave? Well, no. What, well, what actually what what I did is they told us who was buying the place and I called them up. And I said, are you going to be leasing this out or whatever? And they said, well, actually, what we're going to be doing is we don't know, but we're going to be remodeling and doing all this stuff. So I'm sorry, you need to go. Mm. <laughs> you know? Wow. Um, but, but it was, yeah, we, we, got, we got evicted, not through non-payment or anything. It was just how it worked. And it was a bit of a pain in the butt. I, I acknowledge that. But, you know, you, you found it a different place. But it was, I didn't really have bad feelings towards the previous owner. I mean, he sold the place. You know, so what? What? What's? What's he going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? Um, and it's not like I had a six-month lease or a year lease. And the flip side was that actually one of the reasons we were in that situation is because I had a fluid situation with one of my roommates, and we, you know, the flip side was we could leave with thirty days' notice. 
You know, we, we could say to him, hey, 30 days, it, it's, you know, it, it's January 1st. We're out of here mm-hmm. by the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And he would have to do that. So that was kind of the way it worked. Now, I bring this up because there is a breaking news story. Um, actually, the Journal Sentinel has this. Um, Foxconn is getting all sorts of heat for a similar type of situation here you know okay foxconn is buying everybody's familiar with foxconn you've got this huge development down in sturdivant and and they're buying all this land well the journal sentinel give them credit they're reporting the story that foxconn has apparently gone after and purchased like a hundred acres of property that they hadn't talked about purchasing before they went to a guy uh, they went to a couple guys who own this hundred acres that is adjacent to the property they already announced and they kind of quietly bought it up so they go there they go and they buy this now there's a couple houses that are in on this property so they buy it from the owners of the property the owners in a couple cases are renting out some of, I don't know if these houses or apartments or whatever, they're renting out um, buildings that are on the, the premises. So at the end of December, right, uh, the realtors who've been responsible for this purchase um, go to the owners and say, okay, th- this is closing. You know, we're going to want this. Presumably they're going to level the buildings, you know, and use it for something else. So they go to the owners and they say, okay, here, here's the deal. Um, you know, you need to get rid of the tenants because, you know, we want, we want this. And so the owners go out and, and they give in Wisconsin, you got to give 28 days notice. Um, and I, I presume that these tenants, are on like month-to-month leases and things like that. Same sort of scenario. So it's not like you're, you're violating any sort of lease, or if they've got a lease, it's got a 28-day you know notice provision. So the owners go to some of these people that have been renting, and they go at the end of December, and they say, hey, you've got 28 days to, to go. We're selling the property. Um, you're going to have to vacate. So a couple of these people, and the Journal Sentinel has the story, Four families, two with school-age children and one with an adult woman and her 79-year-old mother on fixed incomes, rent houses on the land. The tenant said last week that they were surprised and dismayed to be handed letters telling them that they had to clear out by January 31st. So they go to the paper, and the paper then starts making inquiries on this. Um, Foxconn, you know, once they start getting inquiries, say, yeah, we, we, we had these notices given. Um, I tell you what, you know, we'll, we will try, you know, to work with the tenants to give them a couple more months. We'll, we'll try to work out like 90 days or whatever so they have a little bit more time. But the point of these stories is that, you know, Foxconn is being portrayed as the bad guys for, you know, buying this property and then saying to the landlord, to the owners, hey, you know, if you're renting property, you know, whatever the legal requirement is, if you got to give 30 days notice or 28 days notice or whatever, you know, give them notice. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, part of the context of this is you've got some people that want to sell the idea that Foxconn is big and it's evil and it's going to destroy the area. I want to take a step back. Right? You buy a piece of property from someone, and that person who owns the property is renting it to other people. You have your own use for it. Are, are you is Foxconn, are you a bad guy if you say, 
hey, um, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, you're going to have to be out of there in a month as long as you're, you know, following all the tenets of uh, of the law. I mean, okay, I'm getting ready to put a house that I've lived on the market. On the market, I've lived in there for a long, long time. I'm not going to have renters or anything, but theoretically, if I rented out the place because I'm not living there anymore. If I rented out the place and the people were on a month-to-month lease and I sold it and I was closing in 30 days, would I be a bad guy if I went to the people who were renting and said, hey, I'm sorry, I've got a new buyer that's coming in. you you got to be gone in 30 days. Does that make me a bad guy? Is there anything wrong with, with me doing that, with you doing that, with Foxconn doing that, especially given the fact that presumably the renters could do the same thing. If the renters find a better spot, I mean, I presume that they're only tied in for 30 days. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I think this is one of these stories where, you know, give credit. Apparently Foxconn hears about this and they say, okay, well, we'll try to work with people and we'll try to give them more time and we'll try to give them 90 days. But but to say, okay, we're buying this property and, you know, we want you to give legal notices to the tenants to be gone in 30 days, does, is that wrong for somebody to do that? 414-799-1620. Um, it's 115. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 118, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up in about 10 minutes. Hey, ho, all 200,000 of you have to go. We'll discuss that story in just a couple minutes. But right now, this is kind of a breaking news story. Foxconn, which is the big you know, multinational corporation that is building the big facility down in Sturdivant, Racine County, where they're going to end up, you know, hopefully employing 10, 12, 13, 14, 15,000 people. They, they, they're buying up a bunch of land. They've apparently, through a private purchase, purchased 100 acres that's adjacent to the spot that they were talking about. So you got 100 acres. There are a couple houses on these acres where the owners are renting them out. You know, the owners, the people who are renting are on like a month-to-month lease. So they buy the houses, and Foxconn says to the, to the, to the people who are the owners, you know, they're the landlords, they say, okay, we're going to be taking over. We want you to give 30-day notice to the tenants because presumably they're going to come in and tear down the houses. So the owners go out. They give 30 days notice. And now there's a story in the paper about, oh, Foxconn is throwing these people out, getting rid of them. You know, Foxconn then says, well, we'll work with them. We'll give them an extra 90 days. But I don't think Foxconn is a bad guy here. I mean, I again, I liken back to the story I was telling you when I was in college. We were on a month-to-month lease. And, you know, we, we did that because – that we knew that we could get out of that in 30, 30 days if, if we wanted to. And if one of uh, my roommates, for example, decided that he was going to go to transfer to a different college, we could get out of that. And, you know, we could leave. And I wouldn't have felt bad. I mean, that was the lease. If I knew that on, you know, April 1st that um, we were going to be vacating, I give notice on March 1st. Okay, I've given the notice. I wouldn't have felt bad about that. I mean, should Foxconn feel bad about this four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. My answer is no. Mike in North Milwaukee on the northwest side. Mike, you're on six twenty WTMJ. What's up, Jeff? How are you? Real well, thank you. Okay, should Foxconn good. feel bad about this? No, actually, they should feel. I uh, don't necessarily good, but they, they you you hit the nail on the head by reversing roles. Put yourself as the tenant saying, yeah. "I want to leave." And what, what if what if the landlord is like, "Well, I need an extra ninety days before I can find somebody else to replace you." You, know, you just it happened to me specifically. I was renting a place. The owner sold it. He gave me plenty of time. I found a different place, and we moved on. So I think people are getting inconveniences misconstrued with, 
evil empires trying to throw the hammer down. Yeah, because my, I mean, my guess, Mike, is that this again, this this type of thing happens all all the time. And like I say, I mean, I'm getting ready to sell the house I've been in for a long time. I don't have a tenant. I mean, I decided I'm not renting it out or anything. But if I did, and it, this has got to happen all the time, people I would imagine trying to sell the house, they've got a renter in there for the time being. They find a buyer who wants to move in or third in thirty or sixty days, and you go and you say, hey, you, you've got to leave. Th- this strikes me as being something that's reasonable, and if you're a tenant and you want to protect yourself, then the way you do that is say, hey, I, I want a six-month lease, or I want a year lease, or I want a two-year lease, or whatever. But if you don't have that, this is just one of the things that seems to me that can happen. Right. Right? I mean, I think, I, I, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, again, it's, I mean, I think actually it is a a tribute to, to Foxconn that they're they're willing to say okay yeah we gave these people notice but you know we'll be willing to work with them for you know two or three months to let them you know give them an opportunity to find other places and the fact that it's okay families that have school age children or a woman who's living there with her seventy nine year old mother well okay I, I I get it it is going to be an inconvenience but if you wanted to protect yourself if you wanted to avoid this then what you should have done is try to get a, again a year's lease. Or something like that. So you, you can write this in so you can have more notice. But you can't have this both ways. The tenants get the protection of being able to leave whenever they want or on short notice. And it seems to me the owners should have the right to do that as well. Jake sends me a text. It's fair. Month to month is just that. The tenants knew or should have known that going into it. Foxconn is the good guy giving three times the amount of notice required under the law. I feel for the tenants, but that's that's just life. Um, yeah, another text. Absolutely no problem with that. Month to month is exactly what it says. You know, month to month. Now, again, I, I understand why it is an inconvenience, but the truth is we all get inconvenienced by, by certain things. And this just happens to be one of them. And candidly, I think the story should be Foxconn decides, hey, we're going to work with these people. We're going to give the tenants, you know, an extra 90 days that we didn't have to give because, you know, we, we want to try to promote good feelings. It's 123. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in just a minute, President Trump says 200,000 people got to go. We'll discuss. Stick around. 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You know, talking about loss, losing leases, I was um, I was talking to a, an owner of a business that relocated. And I, this was in the last week or so. And I, I was kind of saying, well, you know, I used to go to your place when it was there. You know, uh, I'm just curious, you know, why did you leave? And he said, we lost our lease. He said, you know, the, the building was sold. And we got notice. I don't know if it was 30 days or 60 days or whatever, but but we got notice that we were out. You know, and we we'd been we loved the place. We'd been there for you know 15. It was an ongoing business. We'd been there for 15 or 20 years. But the owner sold the building. Our lease was up. They told us we had to go, and and so we we had to go. Uh, we had 30 or 60 days or whatever. And actually, there was a period of time where they were. I think closed down because you know they they had to be out of their place and then they weren't opened ready to open in the new place. But it's just you know it's kind of one of these facts of of life and it's what happens when you are the renter as opposed to the owner. I just don't see Foxconn as being the bad guy in this scenario. Okay, speaking of bad guys, is President Trump the bad guy? Let me back into this topic. Back in 1990, the first President Bush signed uh, uh, signed into law something called um, TPS. It's called the Temporary Protected Status Program. 
and it goes back to 1990. The way this works is it's it's a it's a humanitarian program, and and what it says is that if you are somebody from a country that is involved in a, a natural disaster or you're involved, you're, you're in a country where there's um, conflict or strife or whatever, and the country is recognized as being a country where there are those types of problems, you can come in, people can come into this country. They can you know, immigrate into this country, and they can stay temporarily while the situation continues, right? So that's the whole idea behind behind this. So you have a scenario where um, El Salvador, back in 2000, 2001, so you're talking about 18 years ago, El Salvador um, had a series of devastating earthquakes. And what happened was El Salvador was designated as, again, one of these one of these countries where people could leave El Salvador and come to the United States and stay under this this program, temporary protected status, TPS, the key word being temporary. And people who come in under this program don't need to get green cards. They don't need to try to become citizens. They can just, they can stay. Um, they estimate that over the years, about uh, 200,000 Salvadorians have come into the United States and remain in the United States and have been in the United States. All right, they've had kids, and of course, if you have a child in the United States, that child is automatically a citizen, but you are not. day or two ago, the Trump administration announced that they were going to end this program. You can The way it works is that every 12 or 18 months, the Department of Homeland Security has to you know, certify that the conditions that led to the temporary protected status are, are still there. But the idea is this is temporary. For example, um, there are some countries like, like Bosnia, um, Sierra Leone, Liberia, who were all designated – as um, all designated as, you know, countries for whom you could get temporary protected status. They got those designations, and then at some point in time, the designations went away. Haiti is another one that they're going through this. Well, anyhow, in the last couple days, the Trump administration says, hey, um, the conditions that led to the qualification for this program, you know, almost 20 years ago, um, it's now they're, they're gone. A lot of the roads have been repaired. Um, the, the conditions, again, that, that cause people to come in here, they don't exist anymore. So the Trump administration is saying, we are discontinuing this program as it applies to the Salvadorians. And that means the 200,000 people who have come in over the years, they have until 19, uh, 2019. They've got a, essentially going on two years, but they're going to have to either get green cards or or they're going to have to leave the country. And now, of course, there's all this outrage and there's heavy breathing about this. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. People have come in over really the last two decades under this temporary admission program. Now we're saying you got to go back or you got to figure out a way to stay here legally otherwise. People are outraged. Well, we've made a new life. How can you send us back? 
To which I would say, at the risk of being labeled the ugly American, what part of temporary don't people understand? How should the Trump administration handle this, though? 414-799-1620, we discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTM. Jeff, you're just tuning in. Here's the story. Since 1990, the U.S. has had this program, which allows people from countries that go through natural disasters or civil wars or whatever to come into this country temporarily. It's a temporary protected status. And they can stay as long as the conditions that cause them to leave exist. El Salvador hit by monster earthquakes in 2000. So going back to 2000, 2001, um, El Salvador has been one of these countries that had qualified for the the temporary protected status. They estimate that there's about 200,000 Salvadorians who have come in and now live in the United States. And uh, a lot of them live in California, Texas, and and Virginia. And many of the people, candidly, do, you know, work at jobs that – uh, a lot of jobs that Americans wouldn't necessarily want to do. All right, the certification has to be like every 18 months, the, the, sati- the certification that you're from a country that have these conditions, it has to be recertified. And the idea behind the program is it's temporary. When the conditions go away, you're supposed to leave. Um, last week, the Trump administration announcing, saying, hey, the conditions in El Salvador that caused this in the first place, the damaged roads, schools, hospitals, homes, and water systems, um, they, they've been reconstructed. I mean, over the last 18 years, all right, all these conditions have been essentially taken care of, so it doesn't qualify for the program anymore. So the Trump administration says, all right, here's the deal. You have essentially two years to either get green cards or figure out some other way to legally stay in this country, or you're going to have to leave. And now there's all this outrage. Well, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm, I'm sorry, and I understand that this is going to cause some problems for some people. I'm looking at this story in the New York Times. They quote somebody saying, um, we had hope that if we worked hard, paid our taxes, and didn't get into trouble, we would be allowed to stay. Well, I I, I don't know. This was never intended as a permanent immigration type of thing. All right, is is President Trump wrong to say, hey, the, the law says there's no longer a basis to leave you in this country. You're going to have to go back or figure out a way to stay here legally. 414-799-1620. I don't think Trump is the bad guy here. I don't think the government is the bad guy here. I mean, this is a temporary program. Paul in Milwaukee. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I'm an American who lived in El Salvador about 10 years ago. Oh. And, uh, I, you know, the, the idea of getting green cards is, is uh, I don't have a problem with that on the surface, but I do take issue with the fact that everything is ducky down there. El Salvador and Honduras take turns, take turns at having the highest murder rate on Earth. Mm-hmm. And when I was down there, and, and the MS-13 and the 18th Street gangs. The cartels, they, yeah. Yeah, they run, they run pretty rampant down there. Um, also, the idea that, well, everything has been repaired, that's not quite accurate either. It, it, it's probably the poorest country this side of the world other than uh, maybe Haiti. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not be in a hurry to send uh, people back to El Salvador because of the conditions down there. Um, I think, I think uh, a lot of the earthquake damage has been taken care of, but right. they have... They have issues down there that 
I don't know. Oh, oh well, don't get me wrong, Paul. I'm not arguing that, 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 for example, El Salvador is an Eden. And I can certainly understand why if somebody's living in L.A. or Virginia, they'd rather stay here than go back to El Salvador. But I guess the, the purpose of the program was a humanitarian thing to allow people to come in, you know, as a result of, like, the natural disasters or things like that. Um I mean, the flip side is, do you just let somebody stay here permanently? No, no, I wouldn't. I would not uh, uh, just say, "Well, it's, it's always going to be bad down there." Right. But I, I, my question is, they picked El Salvador, <laughs> and that kind of did raise my uh, blood pressure a little bit. I would, I would, uh, if it's Salvadorians out there, I, you know, I would definitely get a green card, and sure. I would not. I would tell the government, uh, "Don't be stingy with the green cards," because Salvador is a very, very tough place in the semester. It's the only government that I'm aware of that has any friendly relations with the United States up here. And we have bases down there, and, and no right. other country down there does. So we've got to be careful with that country. Well, that, that, thanks. That, that's fair enough. And, and just, I mean, we're not just picking on El Salvador. I mean, the, the Trump administration, for example, um, Haiti, very, very poor country as well, um, they qualified for this program back in 2010, after earthquakes, and about 45,000 people came in through this program, and the Trump administration is saying, okay, well, the, the infrastructure is now rebuilt. We, you, you've got to end up going back as as well. And again, I understand that life in the United States is probably much better than, than life in, in Haiti, but the, this program is designed for temporary admission during uh, again, you know the, these situations. I mean, Bosnia, for example, you know, uh, Sierra Leone, Liberia during the Ebola crisis. They, they, they've all—it's a temporary sort of program. And to me, temporary means that at some point in time, it's it's going to end. Now, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I, I also my guess is a lot of these two hundred thousand people who've come in um, are in fact working hard. You know, they're paying taxes, they're doing jobs, in many cases, maybe that Americans don't necessarily want to do. So I don't have this issue at all with them if, again, they apply for green cards. And I understand also that if they've had children when they've been in the country, this country, that means that those children are American citizens. But but if the purpose of this program is not permanent admission, but rather temporary admission while the crisis is going on, at some point in time when the crisis ends, you have to be willing to say, I'm going to send people back. Now, if you want to change the law and you want to say, okay, anybody who comes into this country um, fleeing another country because there's a problem with the earthquake or whatever, you know, you're, you can apply for permanent status, well, then change the law. I mean, that's a whole other discussion to have. But candidly, in this particular situation, I don't think that the government has any choice. You look at it, you say, what were the conditions that led to you qualifying, in this case, El Salvador, qualifying for this program in the first place? And then, you know, are those conditions still there? And if if the conditions are no longer there, you know, what you have to do is you have to send it back, unless, again, you want to change the law, or if I were somebody in on this program, I would be doing everything I possibly could to get the green card that would allow me to stay. Um, once you get the green card, well, then then this becomes a, a non-issue. It's 143. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very pleased to have you with us. 
Bucks are back at the BMO Harris Bradley Center tomorrow, welcoming in the Orlando Magic. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause are live with Buckshots coverage. It starts at 6.40 tomorrow here on WTMJ. All right, let us switch gears. One of the – it's 36 degrees right now, and um, – as I get older, I have less and less tolerance for, for the cold. I, I, I just do. But one of the things that was particularly difficult for me after this, this brutal cold snap that we had, and I, and I mean, I, I understand it's Wisconsin, it's December, it's January, you're, you're going to get cold weather, and, um, I, and, and we all kind of like tough it out. But one of the things that really was tough on me is I've got a little dog. Okay, she's five and a half pound, six pound Pomeranian, and um, she's got lots and lots of fur, but she's really not built for for the outside, you know. And you got to be, you know, you can wrap her up in the coat or whatever, but you can't leave you can't leave people out for very long when it's twenty degrees below zero with the wind chill, and you certainly can't leave, you know, animals or you shouldn't leave animals, particularly small animals outside. So, I mean, my dog is really, really smart, um, and as my wife will tell you, she's got me wrapped around her little finger. But you know, the idea was when it was really cold, this dog got it. I mean, there was no there was no fooling around. You know, you open the door, you walk out, boom, she does her business, and she's ready to turn around and can't get back inside fast enough. But but I mean, I really. You know, I'd sit there and I'd look at this little dog and you're putting her outside and thinking, man, I wouldn't want to have to do my business outside in this type of of weather. But I I think as a responsible pet owner, you know, it's like, okay, outside for a couple minutes and then boom, we're we're back inside. Um, There are, however, other dogs where people just get used to leaving them outside um, and they get used to leaving them outside for long periods of time. Pennsylvania has just implemented a new law, and it went into effect about a couple months ago, and the law says that dog donors can face fines or even jail time for tethering pets. So this is pets that are tethered. So they're out in the backyard. They're on like a a, a leash. For tethering pets for longer than half an hour when the temperatures are below 32 degrees, or above 90 degrees into the summer into the summer and so the idea is you know if you're going to essentially chain or leash or, or tether a pet outside you can't leave the pet outside for more than 30 minutes if it's below freezing or if it's above 90 degrees um, this is this anti-cruelty bill that was inspired by a Boston Terrier puppy who was um, rescued from a, a farm in the last year. Now, again, this applies to people who put their dogs out and, and they're, they're tethered. Um, I bring the story up because last week a man and a woman in Pennsylvania were charged with animal cruelty after leaving their dog outside in frigid temperatures for hours um, apparently the dogs were crying outside in 13, a dog, singular, was crying outside in 13 degree weather for hours. Police came, they found it was a husky chained outside with no access to shelter, water, or food, and the dog had been left outside for hours. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, all the states, including Wisconsin, have laws related to animal cruelty, but this law in Pennsylvania is specific. 32 degrees or below, you can't leave a dog tethered outside for more than 30 minutes. 
90 degrees or more, you can't leave the dog tethered outside. Is this going too far? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know there's some people who leave their animals outside all the time. I do know, even with my little dog, there is a difference between 32-degree weather and 30 below weather. What do you think about this law, and should we have something like this in Wisconsin? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 150. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, is this law an overreaction? Stick around. 153, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Getting a lot of texts and email questions. This law in Pennsylvania applies to tethering. So in other words, you know, the dog out on a leash can't be out for more than 30 minutes um, if it's below 32 degrees. Now, what if the dog isn't on a leash? Well, the law says that in that case, dogs must have access to a sanitary shelter that keeps them dry and allows them to maintain their normal body temperature. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know how you do that when it's 10 degrees below zero. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kathy and Bayside. Kathy, hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Is this law going too far? Absolutely not. People who submit, subject their animals to that type of those conditions without shelter should not have the right to own pets. Plain and simple. I, I they shouldn't. They shouldn't. They should go sit out there for a half hour. And see how they feel. Is there so, a difference, Kathy, between somebody that's got oh a little dog like I have versus somebody that has a Siberian Husky? No, absolutely not. Pets are pets, and animals. It, it, Pets should not be subjected to that type of harsh environment when they live in the United States. Other countries can't say that can't say that for them, but not in the United States. No, is thirty-two too extreme? There, there's a there, there's a there's a difference, obviously, between thirty-two degree weather. Um, I mean, th- this morning I went out. It's thirty-two degrees. I feel like it's spring. Hey, it's great. Versus mm-hmm. thirty-two degrees versus say zero or twenty below. I don't know how you put a, a measure on it. You know, people who who leave their pets outside in any conditions longer than four hours, I, I think is, it's just not right. Okay. So, All right, it, good it, enough. No, thanks for 414. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Um, here's a text. The law is overreaching. Many hunting dogs have lived outside for centuries with shelter year-round in rural areas, including, I'm sure, in Pennsylvania. How about the Alaskan Iditarod teams? Obviously, small pet dogs need to be treated more carefully, but this law is too inclusive and too restrictive. Ray in Milwaukee. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, uh, Jeff, with that last text there about it just being too far over research. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't even have laws that dictate that sort of treatment for humans, much less Right. I'm, I'm sorry, Ray, i got to let you go because your cell phone was kind of breaking up. But the point you were making is you, you think this is, is too restrictive. Um, I actually, and I might surprise some people with this, I, I actually think I, I am behind the spirit of the law. All right, I mean, somebody that would leave a pet out in life-threatening conditions. I, I think that that's, you know, there's a special place and you know where for them. And I think that, you know, law enforcement has every right to get involved. Now, having said that, though, um, I, I don't know. I mean, dogs are different. Would I leave my dog, you know, tethered in a backyard for, you know, a couple hours when it's, you know, sub-zero? Of course not. Would I leave her tethered outside, you know, for, for an hour? No, I, I wouldn't when it's cold. But at the same time, I don't have an Alaskan Husky. I think it, 
I, I think this law is overbroad in trying to, you know, again, lump all dogs into one category. I don't know how I would write the law because clearly, I mean, look, I, if you've got people who are putting the dogs in physical danger, and I understand it's tough to draw lines as to, all right, how long is too long? But at the same time, dogs are, are different, just like some people are type are different. And, and maybe you treat, you know, a 40-year-old different than you would treat like an 8-year-old. I, I think that they're... I think that I appreciate the sentiment behind this, and I have no sympathy at all for this couple who apparently left this dog for hours and hours in, you know, freezing weather, the dog's whimpering, the dog's clearly, you know, in danger. I have no sympathy for this particular couple at all, but in in general, I think it's the breadth of the law that gives me a little bit of problem. Mitch in Milwaukee. Mitch, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking your call. I know we don't always agree we ever say <laughs> <laughs> sure but um, i i wanted to weigh in on we had a, an out, a cat that we let outdoors because he loved to go out and leave time minus below zero right and i have friends that have sled dogs like the other gentleman mentioned and those dogs just love the outdoors and and they take care of them. they have houses and hay etc and uh but uh we have a raging debate on our capital west uh, association and um, I had an aunt that is an outdoor cat and he just does fine and I even put a heating pad in just to help right in his, uh, in his carrier but I think you know you can't legislate stupidity as they say and these people do need uh, when they let their dogs or cats out in that kind of weather they they obviously should be taken to task right and I, I and I guess see my answer to this Mitch is we have animal cruelty laws that are on the books and, and believe me, I'm all in favor of vigorously enforcing them. But to me, it looks like it's kind of a case-by-case situation because I can easily imagine, okay, a Siberian husky, okay, leaving that dog in the backyard for a couple hours, you know, when it's 30 degrees outside, well, that, that's not a big deal. Leaving another, leaving a French poodle, you know, in the backyard, you know, tethered on a leash for, you know, an hour when it's 10 degrees, that probably is a big deal. And I think you have to look at this kind of on a case-by-case basis because they, they are different. That said, the people who did this in Pennsylvania, complete and total jack wagons who deserve everything bad that is going to happen to them. All right, it's 159. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up in the next hour of the program. Wauwatosa police involved in a shootout. The UW football team staying at a Donald Trump property and lots of other stuff as well. Stick around. It's 159. 207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, police putting out a warning. This is um, actually one of our colleagues got caught up in this, this whole thing. These skimming devices. Belinda, you're, you were, you've been all over the story, right? Yes. Very scary. And I, I think this is it's one of these things that people just really don't even know about. It. It's one of the modern ways that people rip stuff off. What, what happens is people will... They're they're essentially like card readers, and they will go around and they will place them on the. They go to find an ATM, and they'll place them on the the place on the ATM where you slide in your card, 
And if you don't notice that, you slide in your card and the ATM reads your card, but also the skimming device reads your card and gets your card's information, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then they're typically coupled. So, so, okay, so they've got your card information that you slid in. Well, that in and of itself doesn't necessarily do you any good, but what they will also do is they'll put little cameras um, these little tiny cameras somewhere with a view of the keypad. And so what will happen is somebody will slide their card in and the skimming device will electronically get your credit card information. Mm-hmm. Then they'll have this camera, which will also um, show you punching in your, your PIN number. And so then people will be able to go out and steal money out of your account. And the story is that police are warning people to check their bank records. They found three of these skimming devices at Milwaukee area ATMs last month, St. Francis Associated Bank, Milwaukee Associated Bank on North Avenue, and the New Berlin Associated Bank ATM on West National Avenue. ATMs are popular places for it. Gas station credit card things are uh, popular for these skimming devices. Yeah. And you think you're just getting money or getting gas and somebody else is getting a lot more than that. Um, they have two male suspects and a female suspect were caught on camera using, then they, they clone the ATM cards to complete fraudulent uh, transactions at Target department stores and 7-Elevens and things like that. Um, so, and they haven't caught the people who were doing this, but it really is a cautionary tale because there's, there's a lot of thieves that are out there looking for things to steal and you wouldn't necessarily think about that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So uh, just, just a word to the wise, because this is one of these things that how often, okay, nowadays we tell people, don't leave your car running when it's cold, because in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee, it can get stolen right away. Okay, so you, you get that message out, and people start to learn uh, about that. But, I mean, can I see a show of hands? I mean, how many of us really think when we pull up to that ATM or we go to the you know the gas station and you pull out your credit card to pay at the pump, how many of us really think that, gee, there might be one of these little skimming devices that are attached? How often do you look at the card reader or what's around the card reader when you insert your debit card or your credit card into into that? And if, if you're like me, the answer is almost never. I mean, it's cold outside. I mean, I just I want to I want to. Get the pump working as quickly, the gas pump working as quickly as I can, and then get back in the car after I put gas in the vehicle. I mean, you don't think of those things. How often do you pull up at the ATM and you're kind of looking around saying, gee, is there something funny on the outside of this? And the truth is um, there are there are thieves out there, and as the technology makes it more and more convenient for us to put gasoline in our cars – 24 hours a day or get money from the ATM 24 hours a day. There's also these more and more sophisticated ways to rip us off. And, you know, we have to be mindful of it. And I just I spent two minutes on this just because I'm reading the story about how they're, they're finding at least a handful of these things at various banks across the the area. And again, one of our colleagues, you know, found herself, you know, uh, a victim of, of this and didn't find out about it for a couple days. It is something to be mindful of. All right, which brings us to, uh, again, the, the the depth and the breadth of crime in the area. As we've been telling you about all day, there have been two situations involving um, police shootings in the course of the last, you know, 18 hours 
or so. The one I want to talk about is something that happened in Wauwatosa last night. Two people shot. One is in custody following a police pursuit at 12.30 a.m. on Tuesday. The incident began in the area of 92nd Street, south of Hampton. All right, so 92nd and Hampton in, in general. According to the police report, officers attempted to stop a suspicious vehicle. My understanding is it was a stolen car. So they see this vehicle. It's a stolen car. They try to stop it. This is, of course, Milwaukee, where criminals just run from the police. They take off. People in the car take off. Uh, the cops, the Wauwatosa police, they uh, decide to follow them. At one point in time, um, a tire deflation device was deployed, and uh, the car is eventually stopped in the 3300 block of North 85th Street. Okay, here's where it gets really dicey. So the car hits these tire deflation devices. It stops the car. Um, as soon as the car stops, a 23-year-old man from Milwaukee with what is being described as a lengthy arrest record gets out of the car and begins shooting at officers. The suspect, and again, this is the Wauwatosa police, the suspect fired multiple rounds. At least two of the rounds struck one of the Wauwatosa squad cars. Officers returned fire as the suspect continued to shoot while running away from the car. So here's a situation where you got the guy firing at the cops and then trying to flee. The suspect was armed with a semi-automatic handgun that was recovered at the scene. There were four occupants in the vehicle. The suspect who shot at police is believed to be the driver. Um, it's a white 2015 Subaru stolen in Milwaukee on January 3rd. The suspect, that would be the shooter, has a lengthy arrest record. He was struck by at least two rounds fired by the officer. He was treated and has been released from the hospital. According to police, he is in custody. A 19-year-old female passenger was struck by one round. Police are uncertain at this time if she was struck by a shot fired by either the police or by the suspect. She was treated and has been released. Uh, you know, the police department says our officers acted quickly and decisively when facing an extremely dangerous situation that was created solely by the suspect's actions. You know, they are investigating and presumably there will be charges. But here you have another one of these situations. The the police see what they believe is a stolen car. They start they try to pull the car over. The bad guy flees. The police are able to stop the car and the guy gets out and starts shooting. It turns into a gun battle, again, 1230, 1 o'clock at night, on, on the streets. It turns into a gun battle. Ultimately, thankfully, no pedestrians, no civilians are hurt. No cops are hurt. The only people that are shot are the 23-year-old scumbag with a lengthy criminal record who was firing at police and one of the passengers in his car who... I, I don't know. Well, maybe you shouldn't be riding around in a stolen car with the guy with the lengthy criminal record and, and the gun. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this situation could have been avoided. It could have been avoided. The gun battle could have been avoided. The chase down the streets could have been avoided. Had 
the police made the decision that they weren't going to chase, that they weren't going to try to follow the car. They would just let the car go, and presumably they'd get the information. They'd be able to maybe follow the car. They'd be able to track it down. They'd be able to get the bad guys at some point in time. Now, they didn't. They decided to chase, and it led to this gun battle. 414-799-1620. Do you fault the cops? Should the cops have just let this car go? They knew it was potentially a stolen car, but they didn't know that the driver had a gun. They didn't know that the driver had a lengthy criminal record. They just knew that it was a suspicious car, presumably stolen. By chasing, by stopping it, it led to a gun battle where bad things could have, in fact, happened. Should the cops have let the car go? 414-799-1620. I will give you my answer when we come back, and we'll discuss. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss. Would everything have been better if they just let him drive off? Because that was that was the policy in the city of Milwaukee for the better part of six or seven years. You don't have any basis for believing that the car has been involved in a felony. You don't have any basis for believing that the driver is armed. Just let him go. Would we have been better off if the Wauwatosa police had just let this car drive away and escape? It's 217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So the reason I bring this up is I got a note this morning about this Wauwatosa shooting situation from somebody saying, Jeff, I, I know you're one of these guys that says chase and try to catch the bad guys, but look at what could have happened. Guy gets out of the car, starts shooting. Cops could have gotten shot. Innocent bystander could have gotten shot. There would have been safer ways to apprehend them, to which I would say, well, maybe, maybe not. You cannot allow cars to drive away. And this situation is one of the points I always make. Cops don't know, oftentimes, why it is that somebody is running from them. You try to make the stop, they take off. You don't know why it is that people are running. But I will tell you, you know if they are running from the police, they are up to no good. In this particular case, the police didn't know that the guy had a lengthy criminal record, was armed to the teeth, and was willing to try to kill police officers to get away. But, you know, here's the bottom line. Yes, they caused the car to stop. They have recovered the stolen car. They have caught the guy that's involved. And hopefully the court system will not, uh, again, uh, fall down upon itself and will do the right thing, and the guy with the lengthy criminal record will be off the streets for the next 15 or 20 years, hopefully. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that they're justified in chasing the guy. Uh, if they wouldn't have chased him, this guy would be still roaming the streets today, and who knows for how long. Right. Uh, they got this guy off the streets. That's one way to start eliminating the cancer that's grown from uh, wherever they're going from, you know, it's going around and around and getting further and further out in cities and safe neighborhoods. Uh, the more you get these people off the street, the better off you are. And the cops were absolutely right in chasing them. If they wouldn't have chased them, he'd still be out there. Right, and here, and thanks for calling me. Right, exactly. And here, I mean, think about this. You have somebody who is willing to shoot it out with police officers. You know, and I've said this before, There, there is no police officer in Wauwatosa or in Timbuktu, that goes to work at night or in the morning or wherever and kisses their spouse goodbye and says, gee, I hope today's the day I get into a gun battle with some crazy person with a criminal record as long as your arm. Nobody wants that. 
But at the same time, this is the thin blue line. These are the people that are there to protect and, and serve. Here's my big question moving forward. It's not were the Walwapatosa police justified. I mean, of course they were justified. And when this guy starts shooting, you bet they return fire. Here is my question. And, and you know, when the police are describing this guy as having a lengthy criminal record, my question is going to be, what was this guy doing out on the street in the first place? Okay, if they say lengthy criminal record, my guess is that means he's got a felony. Maybe he's on some form of paper. He's carrying a gun, and he's willing to use the gun. I want to see, and there will be, I'm pretty sure, criminal charges against this guy. I am going to be fascinated to know the criminal record of this person who was driving and operating the stolen car with the gun, willing to kill police officers to get away. Why was this guy out on the street in the first place? You know, and that's the question that, you know, you have to ask yourself all the time. One of the frustrating things, and I understand going back to where we started the show with Ed Flynn, I know one of the frustrations that he had, and unfortunately for too long he kept it bottled up, was his unwillingness to name names and to call out people in the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office and people in the courthouse for the revolving door justice system, for the fact that we weren't willing to you know, lock up juveniles for stealing 5, 10, 15, 20 cars, the fact that we weren't willing to send people who committed crimes with firearms to prison for any significant length of time, and the fact that supervised release is just a flat-out joke which results in dangerous people being out on the street. To answer my own question, of course the Wauwatosa police were justified in chasing this car that ran from them. And once the guy started firing, they were more than justified in returning fire. Now, again, there's a 19-year-old woman who's with the dirt bag, who's in the car. She gets hit by a stray bullet. Nobody knows exactly yet whose bullet fired that. But, you know, I don't care doesn't make any difference to me at all. You know, when you put yourself in that situation, you're riding around with the criminal who's willing to kill police officers. Well, you end up getting what you deserve. So now the question is going to be, and this is the second day question about this, what was the guy's record? And why was he out on the street in the first place? You know, was this a result of poor charging decisions by the let's look the other way district attorney's office in Milwaukee County? Was this the result of, again, the revolving door criminal justice system in Milwaukee County where judges don't hold people accountable? That's the follow-up story to this. But the good news is bad guy in jail, Wauwatosa police safe, community safe. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The UW football program involved and embroiled in one of the Trump controversies. There's a couple states that have these very anti-President Trump attorney generals, and they they filed this lawsuit. Actually, um, it's two states that have filed the lawsuit um, alleging that Maryland and the District of Columbia, um, alleging that President Trump, because he has business interests and um, is violating what's called the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution that prohibits foreign or state governments from making payments to the, the President of the United States. It's kind of like this kickback thing. Well, here, here's what apparently happens. The UW football team played in the Orange Bowl, which is in Miami. Uh, the Orange Bowl committee 
says what the hotels are going to be, where you stay at. And apparently the, the UW football team and the program, everybody that went along with them, the, the hotel that was assigned to them was um, the Trump Hotel. Um, it's, it's the old Doral Golf Course. I played golf there once. It's a spectacular. Never stayed there. But I played golf at Doral. There's, there's multiple golf courses. They have a big tournament there every year. But they stayed on the Trump property. So now the argument is, hey, um, because it's a state school, and you stayed at the Trump property, and Trump will indirectly benefit from this because payments will be made one of the Trump corporations. Here's another example of violating the emoluments clause. Now, the problem with that argument is I don't think the argument holds weight to begin with, but it really wasn't taxpayer dollars that was used. UW pays for the hotel stay. And again, they were assigned to stay at the hotel. They pay for the hotel stay out of receipts and revenue that's generated in the bowl. So it's really not taxpayer dollars that are used. But nevertheless, you've got these anti-Trump people out there who are looking at at anything they possibly can to try to bring down the president. And UW staying at the Trump Hotel might be one of those. Okay, we got a lot of great stuff coming up on the program. It's 2.35. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I am so glad to have you with us. Um, as Milwaukee's police chief hangs it up after a decade, what will be the most important qualities for the next chief as the city moves forward? John McCure and Melissa Barclay tackle that on Wisconsin's Afternoon News starting at 3 o'clock. Hey, I do want to talk a little bit about the podcast because we're, we're, trying, we're making it easier for you to do that. You can now access the podcast through Alexa, and we've got all those instructions up on the website. know a lot of people, because um, I saw the numbers, do download the podcast, and I want to encourage you to do that. We have regular podcasts of the WTMJ shows, including my. So you have no excuse for missing a day and podcasts of some voices that you don't you know, always hear on the radio. So it's um, just an interesting way to keep in touch with us. All right. I want to have a candid conversation because I am genuinely curious about how you feel about this, because I have a- actually been asking several female friends of mine about this story and 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 how it relates to real life and i'm kind of curious as to how you react um cory lewandowski um who's kind of a pig he's the president trump's former campaign manager um he has now had a criminal complaint filed against him um this woman her name is joy villa She's 31 years old, and she has filed a police report. There has not been, at least the last time I checked, a decision as to whether there's going to be criminal charges or not. But she's gone down, and she's filed a complaint with the police about this guy. And here's what she says happened. She says that um, November 28th, um, she met... Lewandowski at a party at the Trump International Hotel on November 28th. They were celebrating the anniversary of the Trump election. Okay, so she's at this party. She says the two took a photograph together. After the photograph, she says Lewandowski slapped her on on the butt. Um, She said she told him to stop and that she could report him for sexual harassment. He says, go ahead, I work in the private sector. Then according to her, she says, he laughs at me, and then he does it again to show me that he wasn't uh, afraid. Um, and so then she says, I started to get in his face, but a friend of mine pulled me away. So he, he slaps her. He's in this social setting. I don't know if alcohol is involved. He slaps her on the butt once. 
She tells him to knock it off. He does it again. And now she's filed a, a complaint with the police uh, about him. Now, I was thinking about this because a couple days ago, there was a story in the New York Times, and it was written by a liberal woman named Daphne Merkin, who the, the, the point of it is publicly we say hashtag me too. Privately, we have misgivings. And I won't read you the whole opinion, but she's a feminist. And, and she's saying, you know, is the Me Too, let's report sexual harassment thing going too far because no, nobody's defending pigs like Harvey Weinstein or things like that. But she's saying, okay, there is there is this normal interaction that goes on between men and women. And, and, and sometimes, you know, men are men are boorish and, and they misbehave. Um, but, you know, women oftentimes, you know, know how to handle a lot of, of the stuff that, that goes on. And, and not everything is sexual harassment that should cause people to lose their jobs. And not everything is sexual assault that should cause people or battery that should cause people to, I don't know, be, be charged criminally. Sometimes it's just, you know, boorish behavior. And, and I've been thinking about this column and, and this story, and I, I want people to understand at the beginning, I am in no way, shape, or form defending boorish behavior. I, I think a guy like Corey Lewandowski or any man, okay, that reaches out and swats some woman on the butt because they think it's fun, I, I think that person is a pig, okay? I, I think that's just wrong, and I'm not going to defend it in any way, shape, or form. And, and yeah, if somebody did that to my wife or my niece, I, or I you know, it, it would bother me a lot, and I know it would bother them a lot. So, I mean, that's, that, that's just the reality. But I, I was having this conversation with a, a number of female friends of mine who, you know, have been around a little bit, and, you know, in some, some cases, you know, some of them over the years had worked um, like as waitresses and stuff like that. And, and the, what I was being told is, Jeff, there, there's not a waitress in the world at some point in time or another that, that hasn't had some boorish, creepy man, you know, swatter on the butt. And so, and they said, and I, they said, well, I, we didn't like it. It's offensive, but there's ways that you end up handling it and you make it clear that this is unwelcome and you tell them to end up knocking it off. And, and generally speaking, that's the end of it. And if they keep doing it, well, then you complain to the manager and they throw the guy out or or whatever. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I want to go back to this Corey Lewandowski story. The guy, at least allegedly, swats this woman. on. She's posing for a photograph with him. He swats her on the butt. She tells him to knock it off. He swats her again. All right. Uh, she's not injured in any way, shape, or form, but it is this kind of unwelcome touching. Clearly, the guy is a creep, and clearly, um, this is it is at best it is boorish behavior. But she goes and she files criminal charges against him. Should this be a crime? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess I would be particularly interested in getting getting the female perspective on this and again i want to be real clear going down here i am not i am not in any way shape or form endorsing or minimizing or justifying the conduct of this guy who is again at at best it's boorish and it's inappropriate but at the same time is it is it criminal 
414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 242. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm really curious to see the response, and particularly I'm interested in female response because I will tell you, um, every woman I have talked to and presented the story, just like I think I presented it to you, has kind of said, well, no, the guy's a bore, the guy's a creep, um, but, but we don't think it should be criminal, which I found to be interesting. Let's start with Jan and Sullivan. Jan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. What do you think? Um, I think it should be criminal. Okay. And the reason I'm saying that is because for many years I've had things like that happen to me, and nobody ever took it seriously. And men in particular don't take it seriously. If you tell them to knock it off and they still do it like this guy did, mm-hmm. then he needs to be taught a lesson, and everybody needs to be aware that this has to stop. I was 14 the first time something happened to me, and I'm in my 60s now. It happened in jobs um, where I had a boss that demanded a kiss every morning mm-hmm. because there was nobody else in the office, and nobody was allowed to ever do anything about it before because we were told, even by the court system, that they would make us the victim. I guess my question is, is there a, is there a difference between... I don't know, the boorish guy that swats the gal on the butt. Clearly boorish, clearly inappropriate. And a situation you're talking about where you, you've got a creepy boss who on a daily basis demands demands a kiss or something like that, which clearly strikes me as sexual harassment. I mean, mm-hmm. is there is there a difference if you put together all this conduct? Um, do, do you paint too broad a brush, I guess? Well, I think because if you let somebody get away with that after they've already been told, stop it, right? then that's where he crossed the line and something needs to be done about it. Because everybody thinks mm-hmm. it's just okay because nobody's going to do right. anything about it. Right. Right. And well, I guess... I guess it's been accepted. It's the norm. Guys can get away with being like that. How would a guy feel if we walked up to them and hit him in... <laughs> or start or started rubbing their privates or whatever. No, I no, and I'm not minute. No, thanks. I guess I guess here's and see, it's difficult for me to bro, bro, breach this because again, I, I don't want to defend a guy who's clearly engaging in boorish boorish behavior. I do think though, there's a difference between stuff that is criminal versus and and there is, by the way, you know, I mean, sexual touching and stuff, which would clearly be criminal. And then trying to criminalize boorish behavior. I think she's completely right to call this guy out in, in the way she did. And, you know, if you're working, for example, in a restaurant or a bar and you have some customer that touches you in an inappropriate fashion, I think you have every right to complain to the bouncer or the owner and say, I demand that you do something. And if the owner doesn't do something, well, then, you know, maybe you consider walking or going public with it or whatever. I guess it's the, the aspect of, are we going to criminalize this? Let's talk to Jen in Waukesha. Jen, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Um, I guess it is inappropriate, yes. Yes, it clearly As far is. as being criminal, I don't know if I'd go that far. Um, in my younger days, I was known to occasionally smack a guy in the rear end, only if I knew him. Uh-huh. And, you know, it was a friendly pat, like a hello-type pat. Sure. It wasn't a grab or anything like that, you know. And You were a grabber, huh, Jen? <laughs> no, I wasn't a grabber. Right. I was a smacker. 
Got it. I didn't collaborate. Right. <laughs> Only my husband's, and right. that's. <laughs> but um, I, as far as being a criminal offense, I, I, I don't know. You know, it, 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 this is such a thin line right now, and so many men are getting destroyed because of maybe you know grabbing a, a woman on, you know, putting his hand on their back. You right. know, and oh my God, I was inappropriately touched on filing sexual abuse. Yeah, and that you know, and that's there's and, gotta be a line. Well, thanks for calling, Jen. And actually, that that's kind of that's the point that this woman was making in this New York Times article, and she was saying, you know, that there's there, there's clearly real sexual harassment and inappropriate conduct, and nobody nobody at all is going to defend the Kevin Spaceys of the world and the Harvey Weinstein's of the world. But her question is how how. You know, where do you draw that that line and are we drawing it too broadly? Now, again, in, in this butt slapping thing, clearly the, the guy, the guy's a pig. OK, I think the guy's a pig. But but is it is it criminal or is it just all right, that type of boorish behavior that needs to be publicly condemned and called out and, you know, throw the guy out of the party or something like that? Eileen in Greenfield. Eileen, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. What do you think? What do I think? Um, I'm 70 some years old, worked many years in the business world. I can't tell you how many bumps or slaps I had on my shoulder, my back, my butt. Um, is it, you know, uh, sexual harassment? No. Is it criminal? Absolutely not. Is it disgusting? You betcha. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they should be called upon at the time it's happening, you know, make them, you know, uh, people all around aware of it, but uh, to bring it forth like this, and I think your uh, previous caller was was totally right. It's just going overboard. This sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess the, the question becomes: It's like so many things. Do you, do you paint the phrase I was using with too broad a brush by taking conduct which is right. boorish? Um, unbecoming and needs yeah. to be called yeah. out and said, okay, did knock it off, and yeah. trying to say, okay, everything like that's going to be a crime. All right. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. And, and, and that's actually why I want to discuss it because, I mean, again, again, candidly, I was, I was talking about this. And I was running the story through a number of women who worked in like the hospitality industry, working as restaurants and, and or bars or or whatever, who worked as waitresses over the years, and almost everybody was saying, yeah, th- this happens at one time or another, and and normally what we do is is you address it, you you know, you kind of stop and say, hey, knock it off, and and if somebody doesn't, then you you go to the owner, you go to the bartender, whatever, you say, hey, toss this person out. You don't necessarily run to the the police. I got no love lost for Corey Lewandowski, one way or the other, but. The question becomes, where do you end up drawing the line? And again, don't get me wrong, I'm not defending bad behavior in any way, shape, or form. It's just, do you run a risk of going too far? And actually, that was the point that the feminist was making in the New York Times piece. I mean, are we, she says, and she's got a lot of her friends that are kind of watching this stuff saying, well, you know, obviously we want to call attention to the real sexual harassment and all, but there is interaction that goes on between men and women, both in and out of the workplace. And is it all going to be lumped into sexual harassment? And for some of the minor stuff, 
And again, look, I, if, if it's your wife that's being swatted on the butt, it's not going to be considered to be a minor matter. But it's it's different than the, the Harvey Weinstein saying, hey, if you want a job, you got to watch me, you know, when I'm naked, take a shower. I mean, th- there are different degrees. And that's just that's what talk about a yuck factor there. But there are different degrees of the stuff. And I think we're still sorting it out. I don't know whether the issue charges against Corey Lewandowski or not. All right. When we come back. John McCure, Melissa Barkley, they are going to be in the house. We'll find out what they've got coming up on the big show. Please stick around. It's 253. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.